Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Morning service is going to be very quick. <laughs> Praise God. We're going to go ahead and dive right into it. So if you have your Bibles this morning, can you turn with me to the book of Psalms chapter 15? Psalms chapter 15. And I love this uh, theme that you guys are doing this month. Uh, uh, time. How many of you guys have been enjoying the services the last month on, on timeless values? And, and what I love about this is, is these values are not based off of something that we did back in the day. Right? How, how many of you said, well, back in my day, man, we wouldn't talk like that to my mom. Back in my day, we would, I would have gotten beat if I would have talked like that to my mom. I would. There's no way back in my day, and, and this isn't some, you know, leave it to Beaver, I love Lucy, you know, Brady Bunch type of values that we're trying to establish here this morning. This is the characteristics of who God is. These are his values. This is, and he demands this from you and I. He demands this. The Bible says that he is a holy God and he demands his creation to be the same. Bible says that he made us in his image. And what I, the, the, these values are all the characteristics of God is. And, and so in our culture, in our culture today, there is a demand, a very strong push and demand for us to act like the world, to be like the world, to think like the world. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, he says, uh, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God, what, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect this morning. Amen. And so this is why it is so important to be constantly in prayer, to be constantly in reading your word. This is not something that we just say just to check off your list because this is a fight that you and I battle with every single day. Sometimes praying is inconvenient. Sometimes reading a word is inconvenient. Sometimes Saturday mornings you say, man, I'm going to be there for Saturday morning prayer this week. Saturday morning rolls around and it's early. It's cold now. I don't want these, these sheets. All of a sudden it got 100 pounds heavier. I can't get out. And so, we, we, so sometimes things that God demands of you is inconvenient. But when we push through, these are, again, these are not just something that we say, but because but, but, of the reason why our flesh has a tendency to want to take control of who we are. And so our flesh, our flesh is those carnal things. Our flesh is, is the root word for carnality. It's passions, it's appetites, it's sensual or lustful. It's appetites that we desire. And this morning, I, I always thought that carnality was something like it's always perverted or, or anything like that. But simply put, carnality uh, doesn't mean that you're living a horrible, sinful life. It means you're just living a non-spiritual life. It just means you're living an unmotivated life, a provoked life. And a lot of times as Christians, we know the truth, we've experienced the truth, we've tasted the truth, but yet we don't allow the truth to live out in us. And this morning, I want to look at the value of honesty, because honestly, honesty is not an option. It's not an option that we can't, well, I don't know if I want to be honest today. It's not an option. God demands it because it is who He is. There are things that sometimes in our Christian walk that we have the option of doing. You know, I, I, I don't have to come like every time to do this or I don't have to, you know, whatever it might be. 
But honesty is not one of those things. And the battle that you and I will constantly face and will constantly fight is this pull to be opposite of who God is. And that is to be dishonest. I, I did a lot of searching for this illustration. I, I, I heard it a long time ago. And I was like, dude, this would be so perfect. But, and I finally found it. It's a book called The Lonely Man of Faith by Rabbi Joseph B. I can't pronounce his last name. Slovakic, something like that. But he said in his, um, his rabbinical writings that there are two accounts of creations in Genesis. And he argues that there are two opposing sides on nature. And he calls these things Adam 1 and Adam 2. You may have heard of it. He says, we can say that Adam 1 is the career-oriented, ambitious side of our nature. He is the external resume of ourselves. Adam 1 is the external part of us. Adam 1 wants to build. Adam 1 wants to create and produce and discover things. He wants to have high status and win victories. Adam 2 is the internal Adam. Adam 2 wants to embody certain morals and qualities. Adam 2 wants to have a serene inner character, a quiet but a solid sense of right and wrong, not only to do good, but to be good. Adam 2 wants to serve intimately and sacrifice for others and to live in an obedience to some transcendent truth. To have a cohesive inner soul that honors creation and one's own possibilities. While Adam 1 wants to conquer the world. Adam 2 wants to obey the calling to serve the world. While Adam 1 is creative and savors his own accomplishments, Adam 2 sometimes renounces worldly success and status for the sake of some sacred purpose. While Adam 1 asks how things work, Adam 2 asks why things exist and ultimately why we're here. Adam 1 wants to venture forward, and Adam 2 wants to return to his roots and savor the warmth of his family. While Adam 1's motto is success, Adam 2 experiences life as a drama. His motto is charity, love, and redemption. And you and I, we live in this contradiction of these two Adams. The outer majestic Adam and the inner humble Adam are not fully reconcilable. We'll forever fight in the cycle of confrontation. We're trying to fill both persona and, and master the art of living forever with the retention that exists of these two natures. And the hard part of this confrontation is that Adam 1 and Adam 2 live by two different logics. Adam 1, the creating, building, discovering Adam, lives by straightforward military logic. It's the logic of economics. Input leads to output. Effort leads to reward. Practice makes perfect. Pursue life interests. Maximize your, your, your uh, utilities. Impress the world. Adam 2 lives by an inverse logic. It's a moral logic, not an economic one. You have to give in order to receive. You have to surrender outside of yourself to gain something within yourself. Success leads to the greatest failure, which is pride. Failure leads to the greatest success, which is humility and learning. In order to fulfill yourself, you have to forget yourself. In order to find yourself, you must lose yourself. To nurture Adam 1, it makes sense to cultivate your strengths. Adam 2 is necessary to confront your weaknesses. We live in a culture that celebrates Adam 1, the external Adam, and neglects Adam 2, the internal Adam. We live in a society that encourages us to think about how to live a great life and career, but leaves us inarticulate about how to cultivate an inner life. This morning, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just thank you. 
for this time, God, for your people, God, that you brought here, that you planned, that you orchestrated to be here to hear this message. And I pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our minds to receive your word. God, that you would be the voice behind the voice. God, that you would direct my words. God, that you would direct my spirit on what you want to speak to the church and to the individual, Father. And we thank you for all that you are doing and all that you're going to do in this place. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. And so, after reading this, I begin to think about these things and how you and I represent the truth reflects our inner character, who we are on the inside. Remember my dad taught me a long time ago, he says, your character is who you are when no one else is around. Because oftentimes when no one else is around, that's when we act like a fool, huh? When no one else is around, we become dishonest real quick. Because I can do what I want to do when no one, I remember, I remember when growing up, I wasn't allowed to listen to, um, to like Power 106, remember that, you know, Big Boy in the Mornings, remember those days, and I was not allowed to listen to that, that was, that was no-no, we didn't even have a TV growing up, okay, I didn't have a TV in my house till junior year in high school, but as soon as we were able to get a TV, man, we rented every single Netflix, remember Netflix and the DVDs? Man, we, man, those things were flying, we became Netflix number one customer, amen. But I remember there's times when my mom would leave me by my house. She would trust me. She said, okay, David, you got a good character. I can trust you. As soon as mom, and I, we lived in a cul-de-sac, so I can, I, we lived at the end of the cul-de-sac, so I can see my mom. As soon as she made that corner, boom, I'm running to my room. My friend gave me this big old subwoofer, and I am bumping Power 106 as loud as I can. I'm like, finally I get to listen to rap. <laughs> I have no idea what they're saying, you know, but, you know, it's, you know, Tupac and all kinds of, you know, nonsense that they're spewing out. And I'm like, yeah, and then, but then I'll always be checking. Is she coming? You know, that, that, that Kevin Hart me, you know, and is she coming? <laughs> and as soon as I see that car running, I'm sprinting to my, boop, put on some smooth jazz, 94.7 the wave, amen. <laughs> trying to be a drummer mom but I want to look at this inner conflict I mean this inner conflict with dishonesty of our own being because as Christians this morning we know inner conflict too well don't we the struggle with sin the struggle with being honest being honest with Christ being honest with your leaders being honest with ourselves being honest with others and when you look at honesty, this is a God-defined absolute that does not change based on varying situations in your life. Because things get difficult doesn't give you an access to not be honest. Just because you're going through a little bit of a conflict does not allow you to be, you know what, I'm just going to be a little bit dishonest because it's going to give me some gain right now. And just because we have these inner conflicts doesn't mean that we will never experience victory either. Because what's the easy go-to when we experience conflict or trials? You know what? I knew I wasn't saved. You know, I, that prayer that I said, it really didn't. I, I, every, everyone else is saved but me. I knew this was too good to be true. This is only for certain people. I, I'll always be alive. This is who I am. This is who my father was. This is who my mother was. Uh, and so what's the use of even coming to church anymore if I am still going through? Try, anyone here go through some conflicts this morning? If I could raise my second foot, I would. And that's the easy thought process. But we have to remember this morning that we are saved by God's grace. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So for by grace we have been saved through faith. 
And that none of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So as I'm going through a conflict, here's the thing. It's like a lot of times we pray when we're going through conflict, right? Because that's a lot of times when when we get into prayers, when we're going through some stuff. All of a sudden, hey, prayer text, send it out to everybody, right? Because I'm going through some things. And a lot of times we pray, conflict doesn't get resolved the way we want it to do. We go through some, 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 some controversy and things like that. But the victory is in the midst of my conflict, not victory over the conflict. Because a lot of times we're going to battle with things that we've been battling with since we got saved. It might look a little bit different. It might, it might hit a little bit different. The devil might entice us a little bit differently, but it's the same sin. And so we, we got to remember is that, is that as I'm going through as a Christian, I, I, need, to, I need to push through some, my conflict. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the ultimately the fight this morning. And you and I will constantly face temptations and these easy exit plans from the faith until you and I make it to heaven. Until we make it to heaven, we will always be facing conflicts. But I'm telling you what, church, this morning, it is worth it. It is worth it to be here this morning. It is worth it to fight through it. It is so worth it. So I want to look at real quick uh, what, what honesty looks like. Psalms 15 verses 1 through 5. And this gives us kind of like what God is looking for. And a lot of people always ask, you know, well, what is God looking for in a character? What, you know, when I see life, would you look at that? Look at Isaac. Man, he's, man, that guy is just, man, that guy, Pastor Rob, I can, would you look at that, you know? And, and I can't do that. And, and so we always wonder, you know, what is God looking for? Well, you want to know, just open up your Bible, and there's a word. You want a word from God? You want a prophecy of your life? Just open up your Bible, and God will speak to you this morning. Amen? Amen. Psalms 15, 1 through 5. It says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of, of their friends. Those who despite flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep the promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. How many this morning want to stand firm forever? Sorry, I'm thirsty. You know, I, I, I look at Examples of when I see standing firm forever. I see, you know, first, first people that automatically come to my mind are my parents. And there's a lot of time they could have been not dishonest. And I'm going to speak on that in just a little bit, but I look at, I look at Pastor Omar and, and Miss Lethe. I was actually, I actually got to have lunch with, um, with, uh, with a uh, pastoral friend out of Arizona. I grew up, you know, admiring and having lunch with him. It just seemed surreal in the moment. Like, oh my gosh, I'm actually having lunch with him right now. Like, this is crazy. And we got onto the subject of, of, of reaching Pastor Omar, and he, and he stopped, and he says, you know what, Dave? He goes, he goes what I, I respect about Pastor Omar is that he's honest. He's an honest man. Is that there are so many ways that he can go about doing the reach network. There's so many different ways that other, I have seen other pastors do. And the way Pastor Omar wants to do this thing and, and launch it out and bring it out, he is an honest man, and I admire him for that. And, and from watching, and from watching Pastor Omar and dealing with him and watching his men, you know what type of Pastor Omar is by, by looking at his men. You want to know, you know, what your character looks like? Just look at your friends. 
How do they represent you? How do they represent you? If, you know, if, if, if you want to be represented, you make sure you bring your best friends. You're like, hey, bro, I'm trying to get this girl, bro. I need you to be chill. I need you to be super chill, okay? I don't need you going crazy and bananas, okay? <laughs> Hanging off a tree upside down and stuff. Don't be doing that, okay? I need you to, I need you to be straight. But I want to look at this morning how to stand forever. And I love how the psalmist asks, God, who's allowed your presence? Who do you allow into your kingdom? And I think a couple of key factors that you and I must learn this morning is learning how to walk with God. I read this survey and it said more than 75,000 people on six continents, Africa, North America, South America, Asia, Europe, and Australia were surveyed in questions what they favor as the characteristics of an admired leader. The results have been striking the regularity over the years, and they do not significantly vary by demographic, organization, or cultural differences. And what quality was most admired in leaders? The answer is honesty. We want honest leaders, don't we? People just give it, give it to me straight. You know, just let me know, doctor, just give it to me straight, man. I want to know what, what's, what's, what's the thing. And, and, and so if, if we want to be holy, one thing I love about what God does is he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit on how to direct. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do for you and I this morning is to empower us to be honest. Empower us to be holy. It's in his name. It's Holy Spirit. It's not power spirit. It's not worship spirit. It's not grace spirit or mercy spirit. It is Holy Spirit. He is holy. It's in his name. The Bible says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along, along the ground. We are made and created to be holy and perfect like God. And this, this battle that you and I face is this Adam 1, this Adam 2, this internal versus outer, this, uh, outward struggle uh, and fight uh, because uh, we, we either live in a, in a spirit nature or we're going to live in a sinful nature this morning. And, and those two cannot mix. Okay? And so the third, there's this outer man, there's this inner man. It's like a do- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Who, who's coming out this morning? Who, who, who's going who's gonna to come out? Uh, and, and so a, a, a spirit nature... What does it do? It desires to do that, what God desires. It, 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 it desires and fulfills the desires of obedience. Sinful nature is the exact opposite. It desires whatever is opposing to the spirits. It fulfills those desires through disobedience. And this morning, God is always teaching you and I about right and wrong. There's never a point in our Christian walk uh, that we'll come to a point where God is not teaching us uh, how to obey. We will never come to a point where God is not teaching us these things and God doesn't lead us, uh, amen, to ourselves. Uh, He teaches us uh, how to walk uh, with Him. Because without Him, we we get messed up. And this is something that Abraham had to learn as he became the father of faith. Here the Bible says that he he was worshiping this, this sun god. He was out there worshiping, oh, sun god. And now it's nighttime. Oh, sun god, come back to us. We miss you. And God just picks him out of there and says, hey, come follow me. I want you to come serve me. I'm going I'm to give you a great, I'm going to make you a nation. I'll make you a father. I'm going to make you an honest man. I'm going to make you a man of faith. I'm going to make you a man of, after my character. But I got to teach you these things. And what's amazing about, if you look at all the heroes in the Bible, how many of them, they all had flaws with them? Even after their great big successes. 
David strikes down Goliath. David strikes down the Philistines. David strikes down this king and that king and this king. Uh, David sleeps with someone else. Moses, Ten Commandments, leads the people out of Egypt. Success. He gets angry and strikes a rock. And Abraham is, is one of those guys too where you think of Father Abraham. Had many sons. Oh, come on. And many sons. Oh, yeah. Children's Tuesdays, baby. Come on. <laughs> but we look at some of these guys and it's like, and it's like well, we, we, we exalt them as heroes, but we sometimes overlook the flaws. Like, no one else has flaws except for us. No one in the Bible has flaws except for us. And so, here God has to teach him how to, how to, how to love him, how to teach him how to fear. Because before we got saved, we didn't fear God. We did whatever we wanted to do. We said whatever we wanted to say. We believed whatever we wanted to believe. And the Bible says in Genesis 17, he says, when Abraham was 99 years old... The Lord appeared to him and says, El Shaddai, God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. That's what I want to do. I just want to serve God and live a blameless life. That way when I die, people say, you know, David, he lived a blameless life. Man, he, I, I did everything that I needed to do. So if you and I want to live a blameless life, uh, do what is right. Uh, if I want to be someone who walks in righteousness, uh, I need to be constantly uh, being in the fellowship with God. And this Abraham, this is a concept Abraham had to learn. You know, we often think as Abraham as constantly walking with God all day long. Like these guys just walked and talked all day long. Like, hey, God, what's up? How you doing? And God's just like, you know, just smooth walking. Oh, good. Every day, no. God appoints him and then leaves and says, hey, I want you to go here. And then Abraham had to go through it by himself. And then God would bring him to this point uh, and, build, and Abraham built it all to there and so forth. And he would lead him. He, he taught Abram how to walk with him. He, he taught Abram how to trust in him. He taught Abram how to be an honest person. And God brought him out from worshiping the sun God. And he says, now you're going to worship me. And God goes on to tell Abram, he says, go here. Abraham would go, all these things. But sometimes along that walk, you and I, along with Abraham, there's a small bit of tendency that uncertainty sometimes creeps in our mind. Okay, God, you told me to go this way, but this way looks a lot better. I know I'm supposed to forgive my husband because he didn't put the trash bag in the trash can after he took it out, but... <laughs> Got you guys, amen. And when you and I don't fully see the outcome of whatever that something God told us to do, we tend to try to take things into our own hands. Genesis 12.10. This is self-preservation. The Bible says that there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. First of all, he shouldn't be going there in the first place. Okay? Because when we look at self-preservation, self-preservation always goes to dishonesty because it's always, I got to take care of me. Look out for me. And just before this, God tells Abraham, Abraham, you're my guy. Through a nation will be born through you. And you will have a heritage like no other uh, man has ever lived, Abraham. Stand fast, trust me through your worries of life, uh, and I will bring you uh, into a nation. Amen. That sounds good. My God, if you can tell me that and come down and speak to me, he says, David, ah! 
<laughs> you know, that would be amazing. I would love to hear that. How many would love to hear the audible voice of God tell you exactly what you're supposed to do? Even though he hears this, he still panics because the circumstances around him are opposite of what God is telling him. Okay, I know God told me that I'm going to have a nation, but going that way, there's a, there's a famine. This way, there's success. Let's go that way. There's a famine in land. How I many? That's a pretty big worry because there's no more carne asada on Sundays, no more salsa fresca, no more guacamole. Even if you try to pay extra, <laughs> that's a big worry. Me, me and carne asada like this, bro. I don't look Mexican, but man, when I eat, I'm Mexican, bro. Shoo. Give me some connies. <laughs> Here, food's getting tight. Abraham makes the mistake of going down to Egypt. Why? Because he's shook up. He's scared. He's afraid. Even though God told him that, hey, you're my man, he panics Heads to Egypt, and a lot of times this morning, self-preservation and a multitude of things, uh, uh, when things happen, mistake after mistake after mistake begins to happen. It's like a Lay's potato chip. You just can't have one. Genesis 12, 11 through 13 says, as, as, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me because I'm ugly. Amen. No, that's not what it says. But they'll let you live. Say you're my sister. So that I will be treated. Come on, isn't this all about him? He don't care about Sarah. Hey, here you go. I get to live. And I will be treated for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. Isn't that what self-preservation is? It's all about me. I'm in a rut right now, so guess what? I get to bend the rules a little bit so I can get myself out of trouble. We know that whether he lives or not doesn't depend on Sarah. It depends on the account of what God said over his life. And we forget that what God has said over our life. We forget that through conflicts. We forget that through trials. Uh, but you see, when you and I begin to move into pa panic palace, uh, our whole focus uh, gets blurred. We forget what God has said about us, uh, and we become dishonest in our moves. We begin to focus on what people say, what they think, how they perceive us. I heard this quote, and I love it. It says, I'm not who I think I am, and I'm not, not, I'm not who you think I am. I am who you think I think I am. i say it one more time because I know that's a tongue twister, even for me. I like reset it in my head. I'm not who you think I am, and I'm not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. I'm always trying to second, you know, I got to do this. What are they thinking about me? No? 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 What do I got to do? And we change different styles. We're trying to do all these crazy things to gain people's acceptance, but never God's. Hey, just live a holy life. Yeah, but, you know, so-and-so in the church is kind of looking, you know, I got to win theirs. This business over here, I don't know, God, I can be making seven figures. We live in a world where people hunger for the spotlight. And we're tempted to make 
even their witness for Jesus a source of competition. Here's a little bit of advice. Can I give you a little bit of advice this morning? If you don't want to be talked about, if you don't want to be ridiculed, if you don't want to be criticized, if you just want to be liked, don't get involved in ministry. Don't get involved in ministry. We'll see those guys. One day I'm going to be a door greeter. One day I'm going to be one of those ushers. One day I'm going to open up for prayer. One day I'm going to be a pastor. It looks great. It sounds great. But along the way, you know, sheep bite. Anyone ever been to a petting zoo? You go to a petting zoo and you see the sheep and you're not familiar with sheep. To the farmer, he's like, you know, pulling the guy by the ears, just throwing him and all that stuff. And you're over here like, bro, that guy's about to bite you. What are you doing? Hey, pet the sheep. I ain't petting no sheep. Ah, you know, ah, look at me. I'm so... My barber, my barber that I go to in Redondo, he's got a, a, a pet goat outside in Redondo Beach. It's called Cortez the Great, right? Because he's the goat, Cortez. And I'm looking at this yesterday, I get my haircut, you know, because I'm kind of paramount, amen. And uh, <laughs> so I go with there, and then I'm like, what's up, Cortez? And this guy's just chilling there. And I was like, what's up, bro? How you doing? And I'm like, just, you just chilling there, and I'll just chill right here. He gets up and gets on one there, like, you going to feed me? And I'm like, I ain't feed. And I was going to pat him, like, you know, his head turned this way, and I was going to swing, and his head swung so fast, bro. I was like, come on. <laughs> she bite, dude. She bite. They got teeth. They poop everywhere. They stink sometimes. Dealing with people is just like that sometimes. Sometimes they're going to bite you. Sometimes they're going to poop all over the place, amen, with their, with their nonsense. You're like, I just cleaned up this place. I feel like a maid here. You know, what's going on? I thought we got through this problem. You're back. Why would you do that? Being in ministry is not the glory. It's not about you. It's about teaching people with your exampleship about the holiness and the goodness of God. You know, we, a lot of times, we, you know, we open up our house after service, and, and, and our church here, they, they, still, they see the real us. You know, our daughters, and I love my daughters, they're crazy, you know, and, and sometimes I got to, you know, like, my, my daughter, she's in kindergarten, and I got to tell her teacher, like, I'm sorry, whatever comes out of her mouth, you know, she's just in her honest phase right now, you know, everything. Why is your head shaped like that? You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> but they see the real us. And I gotta have, there's, a, there's not like, oh, I gotta act, gotta act like a pastor. You, gotta, you, can't, you can't say nothing. You can't, can't do nothing wrong. No, we're open and honest. This is what life looks like, bro. And they still wanna come and hang out with us. I'm like, praise God. God bless you guys. Amen. It's about teaching people about who God is. Isn't that what Jesus says in the Great Commission? Make disciples and teach them how to obey and follow these things. That's what we're called to do is that in my interactions with my wife, my interactions with my children, my interactions with other people, I am teaching them how to be honest with people, how to be honest with my family, how to be honest with God. And this, self, this self-preservation that we have oftentimes gets us derailed from walking with God. Don't let what people say derail you from what God has called you to do. Don't let, people are going to say things. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1, about staying consistent in your walk with God. He says in Philippians 1, 27, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying you are, you know, we're at the Marriott and uh, where we have our conferences. 
That's, that's where we have our services every Sunday morning. We were, we're there at the Marriott, except for today. But usually we're there. And, and I, told, I told our team, I says, hey, we're not just an example of us. We're not just an example of our mother church in Paramount because this is where they have the conference. We're an example of who God is. We represent God. How we treat the staff goes a long way to how, what they think who God is and what Christians are and who they are. And, and, and so by the grace of God and, and because we have honest, good people here that serve God, that love God, and because of, we have gained, gained favor with them at, at the Marriott, where it's like, hey, you want to stay here forever? I'm like, well, it depends. You know? <laughs> but I, I, we, we, we love it there. But it, it's by our exemplarship how we treat people. Because in trials, a lot of times we get worried about persecution or become exhausted by trying to stay faithful. And here Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi, he says, don't let trials derail you. And that's exactly the point of a trial, is to convince you that following God isn't working and it's no longer worth it. I, I, I just read a, an article by Harvard Business, and it said, it says, uh, is, is honesty really the best policy? And they were giving examples of all these people that try to be honest and their businesses went underneath. But it's like, because we live in a culture, I don't care how you get it done, whatever it is, as long as you get it done, that's all I care about. I'll I'll turn my eye. Just get it done. Oh, there it is. I don't care who you had to step on. I don't care who you had to hurt. I don't care who you had to uh, cheat or steal or any of those things. As long as you get it done, that's all that matters. But Abraham learned this concept. He learned how to trust God. He did everything, with everything that he did, he lived this, this blameless life. He learned how to lean on God. And there's anything that the devil hates more than anything about you and I do is that people discovering that all God wants is a friendship with you and I. And Abraham learned this. Not only is he accredited with the father of faith, but the Bible says that he was called the friend of God, James 2.23. So it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteousness because of his faith. And he, he was even called the friend of God. I want to be that, known as that guy. I, I know David had the heart after God, and that's great, but I want to be called the friend of God. Man, praise God. Bad motives derail us. Psalms 15.2, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. You have to remember this morning that the enemy's a liar and he's a good one at it. He'll throw a little bit of honesty here and there, but how many know a little bit of honesty is still not being honest? He just gives us, you know, he gives one little lie and we induce our own self-inflicted trials because of fear. They're going to take me out of ministry. Someone else is going to take my place. Hey, pastor, I don't know if you've heard, but, uh, you know, brother so-and-so right there, let me tell you something about him. I'm being honest, but your motives are bad. You know, there's a lot of times where it's like, like in our marriages, I'm just being honest. No, you're not. I'm just being honest. You want me to tell the truth? Let me tell you. We, we tell the truth to hurt not to restore. Sometimes, being honest, you don't need to be honest. You just need to just close your mouth. Don't say nothing. Why, why are you adding more to the fire? That, that's not the, the point of marriage. Is, is, is not for me to, to get one up on my wife or my wife to get one up on me. It's to work through things. And bad motives from a bad heart is dishonest. Look at, look, at, look at Judas. Look at the fall of Judas. He never denied Jesus. 
Even to the very end, he called him master. Matthew 26, 49, immediately he went up to Jesus and says, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. What's wrong with that? It's birth out of a bad motive. Had Judas been sincere in his kiss, then his name would have lived on as one of the greatest friends of, of history. But Judas was a pretender. The kiss of Judas was a kiss of betrayal. And if and you look at Peter, Peter didn't, yes, Peter denied Christ. Peter ran out. Peter did. But, you know, that was consistent with who Peter is. He was a struggling Christian. Don't look at me and say, you know, oh, he cussed. Oh, okay, we know you when your team ain't, is losing. Oh, uh-oh. When your team is losing, we get all kinds of different wrongs, don't we? You know, there's a little thing that little bugged me a little bit. It's not this church. But last, last Monday night, men's discipleship class, Pastor Omar brought up something, right? And I'm a Dodgers fan, but I'm not like a hardcore, like diehard Dodgers fan, but I'm a Dodgers fan, right? Love the Dodgers, you know? Like, and when, it, when, when that final strike came, I turned my TV off and immediately went to bed. I was like, game over. And he brought it up, just, you know, being cheeky. But everyone's like, boo, man, it was a haunt. And the pastor was like, hey, whoa, don't get bitter. You know, don't get bitter. Like, and I'm like, hey, this is the president of our network. This is a man of God. And not just he's the president of our network, he's a man of God. And we're booing him because why we're more allegiant to our team than we are to God? We can get more allegiant to our team. Sunday morning comes and my, my best believe my team is, oh, is, is, is taking over God. Ladies, you ain't out of it either. <laughs> our allegiance to things puts us in a place of dishonesty Judas is the picture of, a, of the modern day Christian a lot of times we don't hate God we just hate having to live for him all the time I don't hate people I just love myself a little bit more Philippians 2.3 says let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So I want to close with this. See, I told you. Just scrolling. But how, just real quick, this is from closing. How do we become honest with God? How do we build an honest character? So one is by walking with God. I need to learn how to walk with him. And that seems like the go-to. Right? If I tell, if I ask the majority of people here, like, what's some signs of spiritual maturity? Praying, reading, going to church, loving people. Why do I sound like Seinfeld? <laughs> we want to. But walking with God, it seems like an easy one, but that's one thing that we really don't do. It's only when times of trouble do we call out to God for help. So I, I, I got to learn how to grow with them. I got to learn how to open up my Bible I gotta learn how to have a conversation with God on my own open up my Bible on my own worship God on my own it's not because Pastor Omar Pastor Rob or Pastor Isaac told me to do it it's because I love God and I want to seek Him I, I want to worship I want to seek Him on my own and I see on your own because spending time with God has to be your choice we cannot make you do anything you don't want to do your leader can't, no one can't. You've got to choose that your spiritual growth is worth the work. And the basic thing is, the more time that you and I spend with God, the less it feels like work. The more it feels like something that you cannot live without. 
Because living an honest life on your own is very difficult because sin is all about me. I don't have to deny myself when I'm, I, 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 it's about persevering what I have to do. I don't have to deny myself. It's easy. Psalm 63, one says, oh God, you are my God. I will earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. And this parched and weary lands where there is no water. It's about developing this personal friendship with God. God is interested in your concerns. He's interested in the desires of your hearts. It's not just about like, oh, it's all in for him. Like he just used me as a puppet, as a pawn to go out to the world. To be a martyr for him. No, God's concerned with your heart this morning. He's concerned with what moves you. He's concerned what motivates you this morning. He's concerned with what raises you up, what excites you. He's interested in those things. The question becomes, am I concerned about the things that God is concerned about? Am I concerned about people? Am I concerned about what God, my calling on my life? Am I concerned with my own, my own salvation? And then I got to learn what repentance is. This is something that needs to be practiced on a daily basis. Not to repent just in case I did something wrong today. Right? That's what, I see my prayers before I go to bed, Pastor. Yeah, but it's not changing you. That's what repentance, that's what coming to this altar means. I love Pastor Omar saying, he says, you come to the altar and you won't falter. Because what am I doing? It's, it's an alteration of my life. Some things need to be come down, uh, uh, cut out. Some things need to be cut off. Some things need to be trimmed up a little bit to get, to get fitted to what God has called for my life. And when I come to the altar, it's not so I can just say a prayer. Is my connect group leader watching? He is, cry, 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 cry. But repentance is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear. I'm going to adhere to it. And I'm going to allow it to change my life even if it hurts. Because that's what honesty is. It's when you sometimes tell the truth, man, it hurts. It hurts. But man, you break free of so much stress. You break free of so many other things that just calm and just hinders you down because you live this dishonest life. You know what's really hard about being a dishonest Christian? Is that you're fooling everyone else, but you're not fooling God and you know it. And so it's hard for you to worship. It's hard for me to come to God. It's hard for me to do those things. Someone asked me to do prayer. I can't do prayer because why? I know I'm dishonest with God right now. But this is where this, this moment comes, church, where we can come to God and say, Lord, I'm mad. I, I, I want to get serious. I want to live a blameless, upright life for you. I want to live a righteous life. Teach me how to do this. I thought I knew, but I don't really know. I need you to guide me. In the, would you take my hand, Lord, and just guide me through this and walk me through this? Amen. If I could have every head bow and every eye closed this morning. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.